You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, it is very typical of the AFL to continue their Victorian bias by awarding the grand final to Queensland. (laughs) Or so I have seen on the social media. Well, I had to laugh because we've spoke about this a lot, the fact that the grand final is going to be at the Gabba, and I guess it's official now. It's going to be a night game. Uh, I did laugh, though, that the compromise was, and I laughed in a way that I, I knew that the people outside of Victoria were probably going to be pissed <laughs> off about this, that, yes, there's one grand final that literally can't be played in Victoria because no fans would be allowed to go to the game. So as a result, Victoria still gets an extra couple of years on the contract for the grand final at the MCG. It was unbelievable that they came to this compromise. It's kind of funny the way it worked out. But, uh, you know, in the end, uh, with the way Western Australia made the quarantine and all that sort of stuff, it just wasn't going to work. So they can took all they want, but it just didn't make sense to play it there, regardless of the fact that I think everyone agrees Optus Stadium would have been the best venue from a uh, from a, an aesthetical point of view. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's got any doubt in that, but it is rewarding Queensland, I guess, for hosting as many teams as they have literally all season. Um, and yeah, that's that's the reward that uh, is given there, and uh, I'm excited. But we don't talk grand final anymore because we're still six weeks away from that. There was a game last night. It was over uh, in uh, involving one of the West Australian teams, Richmond and Fremantle. The um, the Tigers get a win, but uh, not convincingly. Yeah, they were pretty flat, and you could sort of tell from the start. This is something we've seen Fremantle do a lot this season. They actually hold teams defensively really well, and they do that by getting a lot of numbers back. We've seen them against some some really good teams do similar things. Last week against Sydney, not a really good team, but they held them to only two goals against Geelong. Geelong really struggled, even though it, it rained for the majority of that game. Uh, at times, they looked like they were holding GWS last week till they got away. So this is, it, it wasn't a surprise to me that Fremantle were able to stay in this game. Probably the biggest thing that shocked me was the ease in which Fremantle were able to move the ball, particularly in the third quarter and early in the fourth when they got this game back to within a goal. I, I think if anything, that there, if there was anything to be a little bit concerned about with Richmond, it would be that, that if games slow down a little bit, Richmond does seem to struggle to get their hands back on the footy, which we know. I know they beat West Coast last week, but West Coast likes to play that way. Certainly Geelong play that way. So it's something to watch moving forward. Uh, As Damien Hardwick mentioned after the game, it was the fourth game in 16 days for the Tigers. So perhaps fatigue was a factor there. And uh, Hardwick was not impressed during the game with uh, (laughs) a... uh a 70s, 80s throwback spray being delivered to his team. But they're going to have you know, some off games. And we've talked about this with Collingwood as well. So they haven't looked impressive. But they've still won four out of five. And just getting wins when you need to get a win, uh, it's not great. And you don't want to put up that level of performance against teams that are up the top end of the ladder. But Richmond's sitting second at the moment. Yes, with games played advantages. But they are you know, they got the win that they needed. It wasn't pretty, but... In the end, it was it was what they needed to do. Dustin Martin wasn't at his best in this game either. And he just put the four points away. 
Well, it's not a big game. That's why Dusty wasn't at his best. That's but the true. one thing that was interesting to me was the dominance around the clearances for Fremantle because they won the clearances 38 to 19. Uh, we spoke last week about the effectiveness that Richmond had with Soldo and then Curvis both playing in this game. Fremantle, yes, Fife was was great. He went into the midfield in this game. We've spent a lot of time talking about how he's played forward, but he had nine clearances in this game. But then, and, and I thought Mundy was influential as well. Uh, he actually only had three clearances, though. The thing that stands out to me is that Adam Chera, six clearances. Caleb Sarong, five clearances. Blake Akers, three clearances. So this was not a, a yeah, certainly Fife was good, but this was the younger Fremantle players smashing Richmond around the clearances. And they had Trent Cochin in there for a lot of the game. They had Dustin Martin in there for a lot of the game. Uh, Jack Gray and Marlon Pickett. I mean, they're throwing experienced players. Maybe Pickett's not that experienced, but they're throwing these experienced premiership players in the clearances, and they were just getting smashed. So it, it is something to watch because, again, when you talk about controlling the footy, that's how Fremantle got the ascendancy. And, you know, you're going to get beaten in the clearances, but 38 to 19, that's a, that's a whacking. Yeah, that is a, a you know three plus three or four or five either way it doesn't really matter. But when you're talking double the number, that is a, a big big difference. And it's Kane, you'd be surprised to know that Richmond won the hitouts as well. So they're <laughs> not uh, not not statistically correlated uh, once again. As my theory, I'm, I'm putting that one to bed. I know that I've won that one, so I'm all good with that uh, with that decision. But the Fremantle continues to be impressive even in defeats. And I think that Fremantle fans should feel pretty good about where their team is headed, not necessarily where they are, but where they're headed. And there's still some guys, you know, they're getting you know, Mundy and Fife putting up big numbers on this team. And you know, Walters is not necessarily in that really, really young area, but they're going to get another decent draft pick this year. And I think they should be pretty happy with the direction and what they've seen from Justin Longview in his first season as coach. Well, it starts, I think, for young teams and teams Teams that uh, certainly at the start of the season weren't winning a lot of games. I think it definitely starts defensively. And there's been a lot made about Justin Longmuir and the fact that he wasn't Collingwood. He was a backline coach there. Clearly, Collingwood's been a strong defensive team for a number of years. So for mine, the reason why Fremantle have been so competitive and staying games is their defensive setup is really good. And at times, you watch a Fremantle game and, listen, they might not be the most entertaining games to watch because they're going to get a bunch of numbers back. But I think setting that defensive structure first with these young guys is the key and we've seen it and they've unearthed obviously an All-Australian guy we both agree that he's probably going to be All-Australian in Luke Ryan I think Nathan Wilson has been a, a big inclusion for this team back uh, down back as well and even someone you know it's kind of funny to say but even someone like James Ash who has been in the league for, for quite a while now every time I watch Fremantle he seems to have a, a relatively positive impact because I think the thing that stands out for this Fremantle team, if you had said that, and they're going to miss finals, no doubt, but if you're going to say, uh, if you had said some of these games that they've had, some of these scores they've had, the fact that they've been a hang around with a team like Richmond, you in the past you would have just said, well, how good was Michael Walters? And he hasn't had a good season. He's been very, very quiet. So I, again, I think that the fact that Fremantle seems to be getting fueled by their young guys more than anything, and I think that that's the positive. Whenever I hear James Aisha's name, it always gives me some, um, I don't know, it's like PTSD almost, because I remember back in uh, that draft when the Bulldogs had pick number four in that draft, I was pissed that they didn't pick James Aish. Worked out all right because I picked Marcus Bontempelli. But <laughs> oh, I was uh, I was like, oh, I want Aish. Yeah, pick four Aish. Well, let's get Aish. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm pretty okay with the way that, that one turned out. So that's why I always hear that name. I go, oh, man, imagine if I was in charge in that draft. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as good as uh, what it has been. 
No, I think that worked out okay for you guys. Uh, probably one last one on this game. Uh, Reese Conker got, was the guy that got the job on Dustin Martin, and and clearly, I mean, they would know each other pretty well from uh, Conker's time uh, with the Tigers. And uh, you did mention Martin, but yeah, only 11 disposals, didn't kick a goal. He looked a little bit frustrated at the end of the game. Uh, so, yeah. Tip of the hat to Reese Conker. Did a did a pretty damn good job. Yeah, he did. And they yeah, that's it is hard when you've got a team like Richmond with with so many good players around and you shut one their their main guy down. There's other guys that step up, but I think most of the time you'd be happier to say, well, let's let Jaden Short and Pickett and, and Jack Graham yeah, beat us rather than Cochin and, and Martin uh, and even Bolton, who you, you know elevate into that level, just sort of just below those guys. So I think you'd be okay with that end result. And if those other guys beat you, they beat you. But a really impressive performance once again from Fremantle. Other news for us to look at now, Kane. We have got you know, it's starting to heat up with teams, especially that aren't in the um, finals mix, but even some that are. When we're talking about contracts and free agency, and a lot of stuff happening at the moment with Charlie Dixon, who is. About to turn 30. He is out of contract at the end of the year. We've talked about him as an All-Australian full forward. He's been leading the goal-kicking at times this year. Um, Ken Hinckley was rather emphatic the other day talking that... Well, let's, let me rephrase that. The media quoted Ken Hinckley as saying that he was emphatic that Charlie Dixon would be staying. But when you hear the words, it's more like we, we expect him to stay. And Charlie told me that he loves the club. So... Where are you with with Dixon here? Do you think there is any any talk here, or with so many other sort of big forwards coming up and potentially moving clubs? Like, where where do you think he is sitting? Is he like the top of this group? Well, I think that, and you know, this is difficult to say because I think tall forwards and key position players are clearly the most important to an AFL list. But I, I think for where Port Adelaide are in the pecking order right now, obviously top of the ladder, but I spoke at the start of season. I remember it was one of our first episodes, Josh, and I said, listen, Port are probably a team where they've got a bunch of young guys that excite people. But if you look at the the, the veterans in the midfield, and we've spoke about the seasons they've had, even a guy like, yes, Charlie Dixon, uh, about to turn 30, they are on, in, in, in under, on the clock. Let me spit that out. They're on the clock for getting the job done and having success now before all these guys tip over the edge and start to decline. So... I think the big thing when I think about Dixon and Port Adelaide is, and we've spoke about it, they're very one-dimensional up forward. If they didn't have Charlie Dixon this year, honestly, I, I don't even know if they would they be in the eight. I, I don't know. I mean, the influence he's had, contested marks for this team, he leads, well, he leads the whole AFL with contested marks, but he's got 39 contested marks. The player in second is Tom Cleary with 12, and then Trent McKenzie with 12. Goals, he's kicked 27. Second is Robbie Gray with 13, also another older player. Uh, so they're very one-dimensional. Yes, they have Todd Marshall coming through. Yes, they have Mitch Georgiades. But with Westhoff on the brink as well, already 34, I, I just think if it comes down to, to simply Port saying, we're going to give you two years and then another team offers him four, I don't think Port can afford that. They just have to give him four. They just have to do whatever they can to make sure he stays because if he's not there next year, I just they're in big trouble. Yeah, that could be a precipitous fall. Depending, maybe they maybe they get someone else in this you know, potential tall forward carousel. But I think that they need to. You know, he's obviously made a home there after starting in Gold Coast and really established himself for Port. So maybe there's some sort of home team discount scenario with Charlie. But I think that they yeah. want to. There's no reason why he can't have an impact for the next three years minimum. Maybe it's four, but probably three. Uh, a significant impact, I would say, during that time. He's not. 
he's not 33. He's not west off age. He's 30. Like right. we've still got a bit of time here for for Charlie. But there's a bunch of other forwards who are you know, potentially moving teams. Tex Walker uh, also in Adelaide. Ben Brown. There's talk that he has played his last game for North Melbourne. He won't play again this season with a knee injury. There's been plenty of talk with GWS, which we'll talk about them more in a second with Jeremy Cameron. Joe Danaher is consistently linked with not being with Essendon. Uh, Tom Hawkins, you've listed down in this list as well. There's a, there's a bunch of key forwards who could be uh, could be moving. It's really interesting. And just one last one on Dixon. I will say, you know, oftentimes you might look at you know Joe Danaher, for instance, who we can we can touch on. But yeah, Essendon, uh, where are they? No one really knows. Are they contending? No, they're just sort of floating around the eight. Dixon and Port Adelaide are, are at the top of the ladder. So. The only reason that you would think he would leave, there's no indication that he's he's not happy in Adelaide. So the only reason he would leave is financial and sec- financial security moving forward. So yeah, just just keep him happy, keep him there. You need him. He's such a vital part to your team. Uh, Hawkins is there. He's out of contract. I, I I just I just can't see any way he plays somewhere else. I mean, he arguably in career best form. I think the Cats figure something out there. Certainly, we got to the end of this season with all these guys in this situation because of the contract. Uh, freeze to start and the the lack of uh, time to negotiate and then the footy frenzies where there's been games every four days so i think that's why we're entering this period with so many guys uh, still up for grabs don't her i mean it, it's just so funny to me the way the uh the narrative turns you know one good game and all of a sudden he loves Essendon again and he wants to be there and what do we read into his comments it's just ridiculous i think he's still going to get to the end of the season and there's going to be plenty of talk about joe Danaher. the bombers will do whatever they can to keep him as they should and it'll just be whether another team is, is willing to to make it happen. Because we know with the AFL, you can be a free agent and there's still trade negotiations that go down. There's a bunch of different things that happen. So Danaher is, is definitely one to watch. But it's more than anything, I've just been really curious to see how quickly everyone all of a sudden is back all in on him staying at Essendon. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, this week, everyone's all out on him sitting on the fence during the game. Uh, and... Yeah, look, what a terrible look. And it's the reactionary stuff is obviously just bullshit. Right across the AFL media landscape. But on GWS News, there's been plenty of talk. Yesterday, just as we finished recording, Leon Cameron was announced getting a new two-year contract. So we had speculated that maybe his tenure may be up, maybe that was getting a little stale, but he was there for two more years. But they've got a bunch of guys out of contract. Jeremy Cameron, we've heard all year, has been linked with moves to Essendon at times. Um... Williams, Zach Williams, and other guys out of contract. Josh Kelly, in a weird situ- situation, is also either out of contract or can trigger a clause for an eight-year extension. So that's a, it's a, I don't know what the clause is, but apparently he's either out of contract or has eight years to go. So that, that is a, an absolute weird one there for, for Josh Kelly. But there's a bunch of guys, and they're continually getting squeezed with the salary cap GWS. So let's just throw those three names out there. Cameron, Williams, Kelly. You can keep two of them. And there's the rumors that Jeremy Cameron's the most the most expensive player in the AFL at the moment. Like, which three do you, which two of those three do you prioritize? Under you know, talking about how much they make and and value for money there. Well, I do think I think Kelly is 2021, so I think that's the important thing to note there. I think, unless I've got that oh, wrong. Let me just go have a read of that. Maybe I got that wrong. Oh yes, it is. Yeah. It is 2021. Yes. But either way, I mean, clearly this factors into the planning. There's no doubt. If I had to pick two that I would keep, and this may shock some, but if I had to pick two that I would keep, I reckon it's Cameron and Williams because, uh, again, the Giants aren't 
lacking for quality in the midfield. They're just not. I mean, they've got they've got a bunch of big names. It's been one of the baffling things of this year why they haven't been able to figure it out, which is kind of why I'm shocked that the Giants at this point extended Leon Cameron. I, I'm it, it's kind of surprised me. I know they're in a grand final last year, but to extend him now. Uh, why didn't you extend him after the grand final? I, I can't see that anything's happened with the Giants this year that you would sit there and say, now's the time to do it. But they, they back their man in, so that's that's totally fine. But Jeremy Cameron, as that, uh, I mean, he's a common winner winner. He's a goal kicker. He's a guy that is is athletic. We've seen the last few weeks he's been up the field a little bit. But when he's inside 50, kicks goals. And, and without him, you're putting so much pressure onto a Himmelberg and onto, yes, a Riccardi who's just... Uh, coming into the league and a Finlayson who uh, you know, started off red hot, but he's not a guy that you want to be your number one or two option. So Jeremy Cameron is an absolute must have. And Zach Williams just completely changes this team. I spoke about Nathan Wilson earlier, a guy that they lost. And I think that's been an underrated loss for this team. Zach Williams is the guy you noticed it when he wasn't playing earlier in the season, when he had uh, a, a hamstring injury, the Giants just completely lacked run from the back line. And, and Williams is the one guy in that team that, that takes the ball on, from the back line. And, and I've actually thought the last few weeks that the Giants should be in the market to get another player like that. So that I don't think they can afford to lose him at all. Well, we've just been speaking about these key forwards and you, know, you, you, you mentioned about Josh Kelly and the contract extension. So I was, you know, I was reading and talking about the year that his contract ends and Kane, it appears that we missed the Charlie Dixon did in fact sign an extension yesterday. <laughs> he, well, uh, he signed I, a three, I, a three year deal. Well, that's good because we both just said that we desperately wanted him to do that. So that's great. So, okay, so uh, he was allegedly offered a four-year deal from Brisbane is what the talk coming from of noted uh, shit talker Mark Rusciuto. But he has um, signed a, th- a three-year deal. And I'm glad that I mentioned that I think he's got yeah, at least three good years left in him because um, I'm right on the money. My, my general manager instincts are, are back on track after the James H disaster. So three, three years for Charlie Dixon. They also signed uh, Power Pepper for another three years as well. Well, I mean, this is actually just poor podcasting on our behalf. We should have just pretended that we recorded this segment uh, yesterday in advance. There and it is. We would, uh, we would save face. But uh, no, good decision. Port Adelaide needed to do it. As I said, uh, you just had to do whatever you could to keep him because without him, I think they would be in for a fall. Last one on the forward front, Tex Walker. You know, I thought he was pretty good again the other night. I do wonder, and this is the only thing I would say here, I, I, don't, I don't know whether Adelaide... I don't know whether Tex Walker has taken someone's spot. That's that's my concern with where they are. So if Walker is happy to hang around and doesn't want to go somewhere else where he's going to win a few games, it, can you see any avenue where it, it might be valuable for the forward line, for guys like Himmelberg that we spoke about, to have Tex around there for another year? Because Tex is surprisingly young. He's only around that 30 mark as well. You feel like uh, he should be a little bit older. Yeah, that's... um. The, the Walker one, you talk about taking someone's spot, and, and maybe he isn't, but you worry about taking someone's oxygen. Now, not like he's in, going into their room with a pillow or anything like that, but taking that focus, um, attempts, targets, is that a problem? Because Tex Walker right. is Tex Walker. He's, he's, a, he's a big figure. He's a big thing. He's a big you know, body that draws attention from his team and from the other team. And while you can say if he draws that attention from the other team, it might be good for everybody else. But there is that, like, if we are still treating him as Tex Walker from three years ago, which I don't think they necessarily are, but there is still that thing in in their head as when, yeah, when Rory Sloan is going down the field and he sees Tex or he sees Elliot Himmelberg, like, 
who is he kicking the ball to? Like, where is that where is that ball being instinctively delivered? And I think there is somewhat of a worry with that, especially, and it happens so much to players who have been stars that when they lose 10%, they don't necessarily realize they've lost that. They try to do a little bit too much. They try to play to the level and do the things that they would have been able to do three or four years ago, and it doesn't necessarily come off. So I think there is a risk in that. Um, but yeah, he has been fantastic for this club continually for years and years and years. And I think that unless you're getting your good value back and he is keen on on moving on, then there is ways to make it work, but there are those risks associated with it. No doubt about that. I think, again, as we've gone through uh, the, the forward carousel, as you described it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think there will be some movement um, and we'll stand by to watch how that all plays out. Uh, last one before we quickly move on to Thursday Night Footy, there is a double header. Shane Edwards and Gaz, they're in the hub, uh, training together apparently. So I guess they're going to do that during the quarantine. De- uh, Dimmer, Damien Hardwick spoke about the fact that the clubs have helped each other out. We know there's been some players playing for other teams. There was some talk about Jared Polak this year, but teams have been doing that all year. So I, I just didn't have much interest in that at all. But uh, it's good to see these two veterans up there. And, and I, know, I know I'm biased, but particularly Gary, I mean, he's adamant that this is going to be his last year. So as someone that has enjoyed watching him play over the last, you know, nearly 20 years, the thought of him just having a couple of last games is quite sad, but I'm, I'm glad that he's back up there and and hopefully uh, going to be uh, ready to go. Yep, it is good. And we'll see hopefully some Gaz in uh, these last couple of games or in the finals, but it's always good to have him back for the, uh, the swan song of his career. We do have games or game tonight that we should probably talk about here, Kane, um, because it's a relatively um, important or an important couple of games. Sydney and Melbourne. Melbourne needs this win, and then GWS and Carlton. Like both, like Carlton needs the win. They're probably you know, they're on, on the brink. Probably not going to make the finals. But GWS and Melbourne, they they need these to keep in that six to eleven group, or you know, however we want to phrase those last couple of spots in the eight. Like they need these wins. Uh, they do. They absolutely do. And Melbourne, it's interesting. This game is actually in Cairns. So uh, what a crazy four weeks for Melbourne. They played at the Adelaide Oval against North Melbourne, then the Gabba against Collingwood, then Atlas Springs against St Kilda, and now Cairns versus Sydney. So they've been absolutely all over the shop, which, you know, with a lot of teams sort of hunkering down in Perth or Queensland or wherever it may be, the Demons have just been absolutely all over the place. But they've done a great job. They've won all those games. And now they get another winnable one. And these are always the dangerous ones, the winnable ones. Maybe you let your guard down a little bit after big wins over Collingwood and St. Kilda. So uh, lots of pressure will be on the Demons. We spoke about them a lot. Uh, I think for GWS and Carlton, the thing that's really interesting to me will be simply, can Carlton slow GWS down when they get on a run? And they will. They'll get on a run. And Carlton opened themselves up a little bit. And this has been their problem all year. Once the opposition starts getting on a run of goals, they just can't stop them. And they don't have... Whether it's the personnel, whether it's the game plan, they, they just haven't shown any ability to slow teams down. So GWS got rolling a little bit last week against Freo. They started to look a little bit like the GWS that we know. They were running from the back line. They were moving the ball with attack, and they were getting it deep. Now, we spoke about Riccardi. That helped the function of the forward line because Jeremy Cameron was able to move up the ground. So with GWS starting to look a little bit like themselves, what does Carlton do here? And 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 was last week, a, I think also, it's just a challenge for them mentally. Did last week break them? Losing to Collingwood and finding themselves in this position now, or can they bounce back and be competitive again? That's that's basically what, what I'm looking for in that game. 
Yeah, GWS, yeah, they've started to look a, a lot better. They're, you know, they're a game behind Collingwood and St. Kilda in terms of games played at the moment. They get this win, puts them, you know, 14 games with eight wins, and they you know, they push into the eight, still behind those guys on percentage. But yeah, they they really need this one. It depends on what Melbourne does, of course, who are on 13 as well. But they need this one you know, to get put that gap between them and the Bulldogs, who you know, Melbourne, GWS, and the Bulldogs are all on 28. But of course, Melbourne and GWS with that extra game in hand that they're going to play tonight. So I, I think you know, GWS has been really hard to get a handle on all season. They've had some impressive performances. They've had some absolutely shithouse ones as well. But they can't afford this one. They can't afford to let this one slip. But the problem is you're going up against a Carlton team that has some real stinking moments, but also if they are on for three quarters, then it's tough to get past them. So it's two teams that have been, I don't know, you would just say almost the most inconsistent teams from either game to game or within game all season. Like Carlton's probably the most inconsistent in-game team all year, whereas GWS feels like almost the most inconsistent on a game-to-game basis. Yeah, well, I think they've they've started to find a balance. I mean, we spoke about this, and I wrote about this last week, and prior to them probably playing the best game they've played in a long time, um, particularly against that Fremantle team, as we spoke to at the start of the pod, that defensively has really locked teams down. At GWS, we were able to work through that. So at the start of the season, they were indecisive. They were slow. They were stagnant. They just weren't good to watch. Then they went overboard, and, and they went crazy with the inside 50, seeking re- repeat entries, but there was no method. And now last week, it feels like they found the balance a little bit. So is that one week? Is that just the fact they were playing Fremantle? Can they do the same against Carlton, the team that will give them opportunities? And I think that's the big thing. So for GWS, it's just finding that balance between, uh, you know, excessive inside 50s and and having too few. So at the start of the season, the first eight weeks, they were averaging around 32. The next four weeks, it went up to 47. I think the balance is somewhere in the middle there as long as, the, the entries and the method and the efficiency uh, is, is there. And I think that's the key for them. Perception's an interesting thing as well, Kane. We talk about GWS getting back on track. Like they are, they've won two of their last four, right? Mm. And one of those wins was a lucky one against Essendon by four points. And, you know, three weeks ago, they got beaten by 40 points by Sydney. Um, so while they looked better against Fremantle with a big, big win, they looked solid against the Eagles. It was still a loss. And then literally, you know, on in round 12 they were pumped by the swans and scored 25 points so perception do, does change quickly but they've been good in these last two games but there's no reason why they can't you know, just swing back to that nonsense that they were playing in those earlier games so that's why it is so hard to to put a handle on them yes momentum is working in their in their favor at the moment they've had the last three games over in perth as well gws which is interesting they head back up to to queensland for this one um I think they get the job done, but I don't think any result here would surprise me. Yeah, give me GWS and also Melbourne as well. I, I think they're the safe bets uh, in this doubleheader here. I think, as you said, I wouldn't be shocked either way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of where we sit with both of these teams for, for most of the season. But it is absolutely going to... We, we expect Melbourne to get the job done over Sydney. But we um, the GWS Carlton one, I think, has the more intrigue for night, to tonight. So if you, there's one game you're looking to watch, it, it's probably going to be that one with the most implications. Carlton win this one. They move into a, uh, the, a group of teams with the 28 wins, with the Bulldogs and with the Giants. So that, the Carlton win this one. They move uh, equal with GWS and the Bulldogs and Melbourne if they lose uh, this one too. So this we've written Carlton off, but they win here and they're, they're back sort of in business. 
Yeah, they are. I reckon Carlton fans would still have a little bit of flickering hope. I think the I think they've got Port Adelaide as well. They've got a tough run home, um, Carlton and I. So it's, put it this way: if Carlton make it, they absolutely deserve it. Yep. Uh, no, no disagreement there at all, Kane. That'll I reckon do it for us today for Locked On AFL. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about those Thursday games and preview some more action across the league. Thank you for uh, coming on and uh, hosting another great show. Uh, of course, and just quickly, of course, Carlton don't have Port Adelaide. They lost after the siren. I think it's Brisbane that I'm thinking of there. So there's a podcast full of mistakes. We're not perfect, Josh. It's going to happen from time to time. Port Adelaide, shout out to you for signing Charlie Dixon. Uh, clearly, I agree <laughs> with you. It's a great, great deal, great deal. Um, and just to further correct you, Carlton's run home. They have uh, <laughs> uh, Sydney and Adelaide. So yeah, they've, uh, uh, they they get this one. They are uh, they could they they run the table if they get this one. I think. Listen, man, I'm just, at this point, I'm just completely making shit up. I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend. It's just, I don't know. I, I even, I've, I'm just about to shut my computer. I'm, uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. It's early here. We're, uh, yeah, we're away from our families in the hub. We're all uh, <laughs> trotting out the excuses, guys. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Toby Thurston's.